And then, hold on, Kate, before you hit record. Too late. Thank you, Bird. All right, thank you, Birdie. Bye bye. All right. I, I sent you a picture of your own confused face. <laughs> Like, I've never had to say big smelly bowel movements. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to episode two. All right, everybody. Welcome back to Table for Deuce, where we shoot the shit about all things lit. With me, as always, is the wonderful, the talented, the mostly canceled Kate. Hanson Foster. <laughs> I think I got that right. The it, author it, of hi, Pro Funeral bum, 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 bum. and Midriff. If you don't have these books, they are fantastic. And I, I know, look at that. Look at that. Look at these beautiful covers. Look at that. Look at that. So that is my co host and wonderful friend and wonderful, talented writer and mediocre know. spouse. I don't know. Wait, so I didn't bring your books t- to show. That's okay. You're you're like that. You're horrible. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and I'm with Michael Schmelzer, who is the author of Empire of Surrender. I'll edit the book cover in and also Bloodstone. Uh, and Michael's best described as the emotional equivalent of old people in the locker room, sitting <laughs> naked and spread eagle, reading the grocery. I have a- I have a story about that <laughs> actually as it relates so yesterday you know Lydia's working just us in the house with the cats and so when I went into the bathroom I left the door open because the cats they're so needy and they cry outside the door and it makes me feel bad and you know of course that is the exact time Lydia has a break so she comes down and she's like what the hell my boy I'm just like uh. When I was like taking a shower yesterday and I was like stepping out of the shower and, and like getting toweling off, like I thought I saw like a yeah. mouse in the corner of my eye, but it was just like Booter's paw, like swiping <laughs> the floor. Just like, like I don't even know what he was doing, just, just swiping under like field or something. Um, swiping off. Out of me. And then, of course, I got like on my hands and knees, like naked and like did it back. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I see you. I see you. (laughs) We need to get out of the house more. Just in general, I think. I don't think we're doing well. Well, Oh, so what have you been up to other than, uh, you know, with the door open? Uh, Other than that, really, uh, not a whole lot. I've been excited uh, to work on the show. I'm pumped. We have over 100 views, which I didn't think we would get there. I'm going to be honest. I thought we were gonna crack the teens we should tell our viewers we are in the process of trying because we had multiple requests aka um, our friend clint who said he didn't feel like at our faces um to have it stream as a podcast so um that's in the works since this will be also a podcast i want to explain my outfit today (laughs) which is a flannel shirt with my hair down and a red lip, which is my Halloween costume. <laughs> what, what are you going as? What is I this? I am a person 
on TikTok <laughs> watching and talking about Taylor Swift's new album, Midnight. Have you listened to it? I have not, no. Okay, me not. neither. Me neither. It's like a like pumpkin spice QAnon, like the Taylor Swift people. <laughs> Because, like, I guess she's known for, like, putting Easter eggs in her videos and, like, and in her TikTok videos and stuff. And and all of it has this bigger meaning. And so I fell down the rabbit hole of, of trying to find the meaning of Midnight, which you want to know what I came up with? Sure. Let's hear it. So Midnight is a time of day, right? Yes. Yes, she was on Jimmy Fallon and she was talking about, he asked, are you going to go on tour with Midnight? And she said, I will when there's time, right? <laughs> okay. Right? I'm with you. I'm with you. And then she said she likes to look at her fans' faces, like when she's on tour. What else has faces? Watches clocks. and clocks. Yeah. Right? I'm here. I'm with so, you. Like, what are we facing, Michael? <laughs> Mortality. Like, <laughs> I just, I, all I've been facing is TikTok for like 24 seconds. So that's all, I all right. Are you ready? Are you ready for this? Are you ready to transition yeah. into the heart of the show? Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. I'm excited. Second episode, but the first time we will be doing the Toaster Roast Club which is where we discuss a piece, a poem, a book, something, and we vote. Do we toast it or do we roast it? Mm -hmm. And we've decided to talk about Chen Chen's poem, Winter, which is featured in Poetry Magazine. So I'm going to read it for y'all, and then me and Kate are going to debate. I don't know where, I don't know where she leans. She's, she was conflicted. So let's see. Winter by Chen Chen. Big, smelly bowel movements this blue January morning. From the living room TV, a commercial from our TV company. We're the fastest, the only, meaning love us above all others. What makes poop more pungent on certain days? Question for science. From the living room TV, the powerful site, law, bark, order, meaning love us or else. Years ago, a teacher said never to use the word poop in a poem. Today, the icy kiss of the toilet seat wakes me up. Today, I poop while my boyfriend shouts from the living room, did you hear that? Meaning the atomic scientists who say we are now two and a half minutes to midnight. But still, I marvel whenever poop comes out as one true platonic two. I am trying to be marvelous and to make my enemies throw up. I mean, if you shower with soap and eat well, maintaining consistent gastrointestinal health, you should be ready for a rim job or other forms of anal play. My boyfriend and I are not platonic. From the TV, a white supremacist cites science, barks two sides to every, I mean, up the throat, out the mouth, the fastest, the only way the powerful will let go of their shit. I mean, my boyfriend and I are not into scat, but if you are, I hope your beloved produces the most fragrant citrusy shit. 
I mean, is shit more or less literary than poop? I mean, one winter night I got sick and pooped the bed. And he just got up with me, helped strip the sheets, carry it all to the washer. I kept saying, I'm so sorry, shivering. I'm so, I'm sorry. But he said, what? Hey, I love you. If you watch the first episode, I love the poem. I, I can't help it. It is, it is absurd in many ways. It is irreverent. The poem title, you expect one thing and it's just not. You expect cold, you expect scenic, and it's just like hot, steamy shit. It's something that is so unexpected and surprising. And I remember the first time I read it and it, it it's still kind of surprising. It's still grosser than I remember and it's still more lovely at the end than I remember so there's a lot of things I really like about it there is so much to unpack for sure <laughs> um and I've read it now like a many many times since you suggested reading it again um and you know I'm not so sure I agree with you on the sense that like you read the title winter and you're expecting snowflakes and you know snow angels and stuff there are a bunch of winter references um which i think are important i don't know one we get most sick in the winter time i guess and two it's uh you know this idea of time and and moving you know the, this rotation of time and some things are just super routine like shitting and season but I did want to say something about this because when I first uh googled it to pull up the poem and read it again um mm -hmm. and I want to just get what I wanted to read I came across this like incredible essay um by uh, it was written in 2021 by a Princeton student her name's um Sandra Kim and mm -hmm. she discusses how the poem had a huge impact on her um the way Chen Chen uses language in the poem uh, as sort of like reclaiming, um, like using language to reclaim your body. So I just want to read just a little bit of what she said. Um, one part of it is she says, I'm an Asian woman from California, five feet tall with kind words and a non-intrusive desire for greatness. And people think they know me, but I don't want to be known, not in the way that suits white America. I want to exist like anyone else. And I want to own the rights to my Asian-ness. Uh, then she also says, the poem traveled through its own body, scoured every crevice for some truth to give us. Three students, and she describes in the essay that she's sitting down with some uh, friends of hers and they're all reading this mm -hmm. poem out loud together. So she says, um, you know, three students on the cusp of adulthood just trying to survive, having no firsthand concept of gay romance or anal sex and little vocabulary for our shit. The fact that we all shit remains a veiled truth, a vital unpleasantry of the self we hold below our hips. Our head perches itself on the neck, maintaining a healthy torso distance from the anus because the brain's poetic that which creates, sings, swims, wants nothing to do with shit, that which our body cannot siphon life from. But Chen, Chen marries shit with poetry and he does so gracefully. And anyways, it's, I highly, I'll, I'll link to that essay because I mm -hmm. highly recommend it. I thought it was so well-written and gave me a new perspective on the poem that I didn't get 
on its face value. Well, I don't know. What do you think about that? I really like the word that she used, uh, graceful. I think it is a very graceful poem. I mean, the, there's a musicality to the poem. There's like really interesting word choices and juxtapositions that I would have never put together. And I just think there is an elegance to the whole piece, just entirely the pacing of it, reading it out loud, felt very conversational and natural, but there was, like I said, there's that music to it that made it easy to read out loud. Even if I'm having to say things like big smelly bowel movements, which I don't ever have to say in the daily discourse, I guess. But there are just the phrases that they're put together in such a way that just make them just very lyrical, even if they're talking about the most grotesque kind of things that we all share and do. I think there's simultaneously a universality to the experience of the poem, while at the same time, Chen does really touch on things that are specific to certain communities. And I really like how inclusive in the sense that this is a poem that has conversations about uh, writing teacher talking about not using the word poop. It's a conversation about there's news or white supremacy. There's a conversation about love. There's a conversation about queer love. There's the com there are just so many of these conversations packed into this one little poem that I just think is done so well. It's so expansive without being forced it feels like it feels very organic and very natural and feels just great to read and be part of I like the part that um where the poem pivots right and he mm -hmm. it's almost as if you know the speaker turns to the camera you know and and just says I'm trying to be marvelous you know and also kind of give the finger to my enemies you know I want to mm -hmm. gross them out that part to me, it was like the shift that I needed that made me keep carrying on. Cause there was, I mean, some of the images, obviously, you know, you can call them lyrical. For me, it's like, you know, the first, the first opening line, like big smelly <laughs> on this morning. I mean, that's a bold way to start a poem and, and hope yeah. that someone keeps going to the second line. And that's mm -hmm. kind of how I felt as I was, you know, reading through and then, but then you get to that pivot where it's, I'm trying to be marvelous. Mm -hmm. and that sort of just slaps you across the face and, and to, you know, uh, what's the line? I have it pulled up on my thing, but I'm trying to be marvelous uh, and make my enemies throw up. <laughs> yep. I love that. I mean, it's just so, it's just such a F you to anybody who mm -hmm. thinks this poem, you know, is gross or stupid um and that part is just it's just so bold it's so in your face uh mm -hmm. and I, f I think i don't know um you know there were certain things in the poem that i i questioned like certain lines that i, I wondered whether or not they were uh useful you know mm -hmm. there's certain lines where i'm like is this necessary i, I could have be gone um one of those lines i was the um, uh, maybe, wait, hang on, sorry. <laughs> oh, okay, okay, here we go. But still I marvel whenever poop comes out as the one true platon platonic tube. So, it's interesting because it, you know, he marvels. And then, and then, and then the following line is I'm trying to be marvelous. 
um, which so that you know the, those lines are connect in that way. Uh, I'm not sure I understand poop as being the one true platonic tube. Like not the anus is the tube. Like I read it as poop is the tube. Yeah, reading it right. That's that is how I read it as well. I can't exactly say I like understand completely the line, uh, but I do love the phrasing of it. I love the sounds. Mm. Like I just like platonic tube is just fun to say on the mouth. There's like certain things in the poem that I can forgive as far as like, if I don't understand it, it could be a failing on my own end. I'm completely accepting that I'm not bright. Let's just put that out there. But at the same time, like I just love like the sounds and there's a certain joy. It's like when you're a kid and you just bang on pots, it's not music, but it just sounds fun sometimes just to make noise. And I think there's a certain element of that in a lot of the poems I like that they're just sounds that are sounds for the sake of sounds that are just great. They just are fun to listen to or they are fun to form in the mouth. And I think there's some of that at play, at least for me in the poem that works. And like I said, like big smelly bowel movements. I mean. Everyone at home, try that. Like, it feels good on the mouth. Like, all these sounds oh, just coming out. <laughs> like, it's great. Like, I'm so. gonna walk around my house for the, like, the rest <laughs> of the day. <laughs> bowel movements. Uh, you're right, though. I mean, there's so much to unpack. Race, identity, sex, sexuality, gender, mm -hmm. all of it. And for that, I think it's, it's, it is a good poem. I do wonder, um, on one of the... Like one of the things, uh, having read that essay, right, mm -hmm. and um, and and really really enjoying that essay, made me wonder a little bit about um, this concept of what she wrote about as you know claiming your kind of using language to reclaim your your in this case Asian body, right, um, is what mm -hmm. she was saying, and I guess I wanted to know, you know, if someone put that poem, which happens in classrooms all the time, you know, putting a poem on a desk with, with no name attached. So we don't know who the author is. Would we have that conversation? And so how much does the poem itself rely on mm -hmm. the identity of the writer? I think in a lot of ways, like, I, and I'm, I'm gonna speak in real huge generalizations here. I think, you know, certain, cultures or certain like time periods, whatever you want to say, I think has a different relationship to the body, for instance, or to the body's natural functions, for instance. And I think some cultures I would say are a little more reserved or conservative when it comes to things that are considered private. So I think there can be a certain amount of saying these things out loud in a public way or reading about them can be a very kind of taboo thing to break. There's like a, a social line that gets broken. That can be really empowering. Mm. So I think that's possibly part of what might be being said in the essay. I, I haven't read the essay. I'm not exactly sure, but I do think there is that sense of, and I'm not sure if it's specific to any group or time or anything like that or society but I do think there is that taboo being broken that like the one teacher or whatever said in a poem you don't say poop in a poem but that gets broken and I think it gets broken well in this poem whether the poem if it was completely stripped of author name and what we know of the author 
I still think it can have a powerful impact on a personal level. You wouldn't necessarily be able to say specifically, I identify with the author as this or that, but I think you'd be able to say, I identify with the core kind of emotions or universality of the poem itself. Despite all of what needs to be unpacked or, or what could be unpacked from this poem, mm. um, my ultimate takeaway uh, was it's a, it's a love poem. You know, it's a weird way to write a love poem, but it's a love poem. And and mm -hmm. it, I think it's really great in that it, it presents love as, you know, sacrosanct and, you know, sacrilegious and both beautiful, but also profane and, uh, yeah. you know, all all packaged up into into one, you know, made me just start thinking about this idea of of love being kind of you know, really sometimes just like a very ugly thing in, in a lot mm -hmm. of ways that there's just so much ugliness to pure love. And how do we, you know, how do you kind of express that without grossing out your enemies, <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, and, and really showing, bearing that the, the rawness, the intimacy um, and the, you know, just the, the privacy of mm. true love which I think is something it, this poem does really, really well. I don't know how much more this poem could, could really reveal. When you have an opening line with big smelly bowel movements, going to the final line where there is still that bowel movement, but it's transformed into this very tender moment between mm. these two. And it's, like you said, it is, I think at the core, a love poem. And there is that sense of completely being taken care of and loved unconditionally, even in your worst state, your feverish, shitting the bed state. And there is someone who loves you regardless and is taking care of you. I think that is such a beautiful moment. And I think it is a humanizing moment if you're looking at it from a stance of like the speaker's enemies, let's say. But if they do happen to read it, if, you know, that they would find something very tender and relatable in this poem. And there's that image too, uh, of, you know, the white supremacists or the TV personalities, you know, yeah. can regurgitate, uh, you know, they regurgitate truth faster than it's gonna come out like, you know, the other end. <laughs> mm -hmm. I, I'm gonna get, to, I'm gonna contradict myself, um, going back to the line that I said, I think probably could be eliminated, the platonic tube line. Um, and one thing that I did, uh, one thing that stuck with me is the capitalization of the word platonic, platonic. and I, uh, the, like those little details always stick out. Like why, why, you know, why put so much emphasis on that, on the word platonic? And when I'm trying to, you know, make this argument that this is an, at its heart a love poem, but I think this whole concept of being sick and you know being taken care of and stuff, I think it goes to just show that you know true love is both you know, erotic and, and, and platonic in the sense that, you know, the lover is helping changing the shitty sheets. And that combination is really the ultimate perception of what like true love is in mm. my mind. But. Yeah, I, I think that is very true. I think like, I hadn't thought about it that way, but I think that combination of the erotic and the platonic as kind of one unit of love that can be found is fantastic. Should we? Are you, are you ready to cast your vote? 
because I mean it's pretty obvious. What I've I mean. gone back and forth. I, I'm not gonna lie. I've gone I, back and forth. <laughs> let's so. let's hear it then. Everyone knows I'm I am toasting. I am cheersing. I am saying kudos to Chen Chen for writing that poem, a poem that I myself could never attain. I don't even think I've ever said the word shit in a poem. <laughs> like I mean. I don't know. It's it's just so good. I mean, I could strive. Maybe I'll maybe I'll be inspired and try to do a poem like that someday. You can't even write the word shit in a group chat. <laughs> no, I can say it. I will put the little asterisk in there. It's my turn. It is. I wish we had a drum roll. You need to edit a drum roll in here. I have to. <laughs> I'm gonna toast it. I'm gonna toast the poem for sure. Woo! I toast it. Yes. Oh, fantastic. Um, if people disagree with us, if they think it's horrible, um, uh, you know, I, I'm sorry to hear that. You can always email your opinions to us at tableforduce at gmail.com, four as in the number, I believe, four. So tableforduce at gmail.com. Uh, let us know what you think of the poem. And also, if someone actually does, I'm going to be sending out uh, Chen Chen's book to some lucky viewer, listener, what have you. So I picked a poem that we could talk about next week, if you're mm -hmm. up for it. I am. Um, I am. And I came to this because, for a couple of reasons, um, one was that line uh, where, where, you know, from Chen Chen's poem, where he, where I said, it seems like it's, it's a pivot. It's just like a, mm -hmm. you know, just a, a plain spoken aside of just turning to the to the speaker and saying I mean turning to the reader and saying you know I'm trying to be marvelous so a few years ago I took a, a workshop uh, with Cornelius Edie and um, he said something that really stuck with me he just said just quite simply what is a poem except for the poet just desperately wanting to tell the reader you know I have to tell you something that's really what poems are it's just like this urgency of like I need to tell you something and so I thought thinking about him I thought what well, I'd pick one of his poems that we could talk about which also I think is sort of a just a, a not in your face love poem but also something mm -hmm. I would consider to be a love poem um, so it's called crows in a strong wind and I'll put a link up to it, but it can be found on the Poetry Foundation website. You could just Google it, Cornelius Edie, Crows and a Strong Wind. Um, it's another short poem. Uh, it starts with crows, like uh, sitting there on a, you know, they get caught up in, in a strong wind. <laughs> this is about crows. They get caught in a strong wind, but it describes them sort of fumbling and the, you know, the speaker sort mm -hmm. of watching it. And, uh, and again, it's a love poem. And it makes you wonder what, I don't know, it, uh, for me, it opens up so many questions, which I, I'm, I'm excited to talk about next week when, when we discuss it. And I want to know what you think about it. Um, All right. I will read it. I will look at it. I, you seem to have done more research into the Chen poem than I bet I will do for any poem. <laughs> like I said, I Google, I was trying to pull up, it was the first uh, result on the search when I was just trying to look up the poem and I clicked on it thinking it was the poem and it was this essay. It is a beautiful essay. So like I said, I will link to that as well because it was, uh, it just blew me away that per, the, her take on the poem, which was so opposite mm -hmm. mine first time around and, and brought up so much more for me to get out of it. Um, but that, I mean, that's the extent of it aside from me just combing line by line. <laughs> oh, so good. It's still, it's still one of my favorite poems as far as just 
that kind of irreverence against poetry in a way. I mean, it's, uh, oh, I just think it's hilarious and great and tender and just, and I, I don't know, just something to aspire to. I think there's also so much more that can be, you know, that could be discussed about uh, just being human and the ugliness of being human. It's not pretty. It is not. And I know, you know, we're of the age where we have aging parents and we are becoming aging parents ourselves. So it's like, yeah, I can, I see my trajectory. I see where my body's going. You know what I mean? I'm like, it isn't, it isn't pretty sometimes. We are more than these bodies. We are more than, you know, the superficial vanity of our youth and all that stuff. And I just think poets can capture that so well. And I think Chen did kind of the same thing as far as like an illness, like how it can just, you know, one minute we're fine and the next minute we can be completely changed and don't have the agency of our own bodies anymore. And it's just that, that really interesting, fascinating and sad and tragic. And if you have people around you, it can be a lovely experience in its own way too, despite all the horribleness of it, ugliness of it, so. I mean, even just taking bodily functions aside, uh, there's- Never, never. <laughs> I think truth, you know, the, obviously the ugly truth there, there's, um, if you really want to be truthful as a poet, uh, you have to embrace the ugly. That's just, there's no other way to get to the bottom of things if you don't, if you don't embrace the ugliness of the human experience. And none of us are perfect. Um, and I think that that honest line of, you know, I'm trying to be, listen, I'm trying to be marvelous. <laughs> also making me throw up, you know, that. It, that uh, is, I, I, so much truth in there it's just it's going it just goes for it you know the line just goes for it. it's like i'm just gonna mm -hmm. I'm, yeah, I'm just gonna tell you what i'm doing here and yeah. and and it and for some reason even though it almost seems like a cop-out to to tell the reader what your intentions are um in the poem mm -hmm. i think that it, it's more the honesty of it you know if that line wasn't there I think we would be having this discussion saying, well, you know what he's trying to do, right? You know, he's, you know, he's purposely <laughs> trying to be disgusting I and mean, he's purposely trying to mm -hmm. just be revolting to the reader. But by, by exposing that honesty right in the middle of the poem, uh, I do love that. You know, there's no, there's no facade of, of just a lyrical line, um, you know, fancy language. It's just in your face truth. Who, who amongst us hasn't tried to be marvelous and simultaneously made our enemies puke? I hope we have enemies out and there puking right now. <laughs> <laughs> so one thing we wanted to do, everybody, was invite you to suggest poems that we should look at. If you think there's a poem out there that's underrated, if there's a poem out there you think is overrated, whatever it may be, send us some poem suggestions for us to look at. And please... Let's use this to uh, nominate other poems and don't be mean about it per se. We're not about being mean. We're about looking at things and having fun and conversations. Uh, but definitely if there's someone out there that you love as a poet that you don't think is getting the attention they deserve, send us their work and let's take a look at it and let's talk about it. If there's someone that you think we should have on the show uh, to be part of the Toaster Roast where we talk about one of their favorite pieces, and they want to talk to us about why they love it. Uh, we would love to have them on. So send us your suggestions, tableforduce at gmail.com. And 
leave a comment, do whatever, and let us know if there's someone we should have on or a poem we should look at, and we would love to take a shot at it. Yes, yep. And in the meantime, next week, uh, Crows in a Strong Wind, Cornelius Edie. If people have any opinions on that poem, I, I'd love to know that too. So uh, we can we can incorporate that maybe into the discussion as well. So. Absolutely. So everybody, subscribe. I have to do that whole annoying thing, right? Subscribe, like, tweet. Smash that like Stop. button. <laughs> Smash it. Let's get past nine subscribers. Dropping the deuce on Fridays. Yep, the, the, the second, the second <laughs> deuce. The second, second deuce, deuce. On Friday. It's a very special episode. The number two episode of Table for Deuce. Just dropping the deuce. Everybody. <laughs> All right. Till next time. Till next time. Goodbye. You a big Oscar. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye.